Hi, I'm Samuel. And I am Bentley. <laughs> and this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. Ah, yes, I'm here. Now, <laughs> this is something that I have tried to really make. <laughs> do it, do it now. I'm here. Okay, so we're going to be covering Conan. And I love Conan. Conan's one of the greatest cinematic masterpieces of our time. No, it's not. No, it is. You don't understand. You are heathen. You don't understand. Conan begins with a Nietzsche quote and ends with Mako talking about Arnold becoming a king. What more do you want? I'm, I don't understand. <laughs> you know, this is all my fault. I, I'll completely own this. And this is where, you know, our... <laughs> we may not be able... So Conan is a great... Wait, stop! So, no, stop talking! No, you shut up! Conan is a great film because all it is is some idiot's Dungeons and Dragons campaign for the first, like, five levels. All it is is just like, this is Conan the Barbarian, an adventurer for heroes from level one to five. Like, that's it. That's all it is. It's them assembling a party of a barbarian, a rogue, and a paladin. That's it. And then they go and they fight Falsa Doom, which is the most Dungeons and Dragons name that's ever existed. They're like stealing from temples and like, oh my god, I love this movie. Which is why I thought he would love it. I never played Dungeons and Dragons. My perspective is, this is a movie that my father and I shared because, you know, he wasn't into sci-fi or comic books, but he knew that I was. And he did love movies and... That was something we did all the time together. He would take me to the second-run theaters, you know, to see just the goofiest crap. Uh, and some of it has entered the canon and, you know, was clearly major league stuff. Like, I remember watching Blazing Saddles with him. That was fantastic. But then we would also see, like, B-grade stuff, like uh, Wind Walker. We'll talk about that another time. But one of the things that we saw... What? <laughs> what the f*** is Wind Walker? Let's, let's stay focused here. I'm trying. I'm so so sorry. we saw Conan because he thought Arnold was hilarious. And this is way before Arnold turned into a movie star. At this point, Arnold had just done Hercules of New York. Yes, he had done Hercules of New York, which was a great film seen by audiences all across America. Seen by no one. Seen by no one. And Arnold was a bodybuilder and he was a goofball. But for some reason, my dad had clued in to this guy who was entering our pop culture way before anybody of my generation had, and we went to see Conan in the theaters, and I think there were six people in there, us being two of them. But it was hilarious, and so at some point I knew I wanted Samuel to watch it because I thought he would appreciate kind of the humor and the context and what role it played in making Arnold what he is today. You know, it's weird as I think about it, Conan might just be a perfect film. I just can't... <laughs> I can't, it's like I'm trying to find a fault with it, but it's every single bit of casting is perfect. Every word that comes out of every character's mouth is perfect and builds their character immensely. It has ghost Valkyrie women attacking James Earl Jones. Like, what do you want? If when you go that, to the films no. and you pay $10 now, $10 to see a movie... And you don't get that, you should ask for a refund. Like, <laughs> well, you, like it has like it has this bit of dialogue between Arnold and Mako. Do any flowers grow here? Flowers? No. Like, what? 
I don't understand if there's a greater <laughs> peak to reach at cinema. I don't think there is. Yeah, it, and and uh, yeah, I I want you. I keep trying to drag Samuel in between these podcast recordings back to the idea that something can be a cult hit, right? Especially in our community, in the geek community, there are certain movies that are cult hits that are part of our internal canon, say, like Repo Man, that are not part of the broader American cultural canon. Repo Man is not in the canon, and Conan is not either. What? I will let Samuel make the case for why it should be considered not a cult classic, but in the canon. Why should it be in the canon? So first off, it's written by frickin' Oliver Stone. Well, that's a good point. Which is really, I mean, that is bizarre, man. I mean, it, I mean yep. this is Oliver Stone who will go on to do... JFK and W and you know all of these films that have built well, up a, a themselves into the canon. Oh, he does Platoon, uh, I think. So he did uh, a movie about El Salvador, I think, right after he does Conan. Conan is one of the first things that he does. Yes, it's kind of what gets his name out there in Hollywood. The other reason I think this really needs to enter the canon is because it is widely, widely regarded as having one of the greatest soundtracks for a film ever. Yeah, I still have that soundtrack actually on my computer. It is, um, uh, it's uh, beautiful. Basso Poldores, I think I'm pronouncing his name wrong. I do apologize to anyone who can speak uh, the language that his name comes from. But holy moly, I mean, that is not, without exaggeration, that is used as a temp track to most fantasy movies now. Before you have the actual score in place, when you want to get your composer to understand what you're going for in your fantasy movie, you use the Conan soundtrack. It is incredible it stands on its own it works as a perfect companion piece to the film do you uh, have any favorite uh parts of the soundtrack i like riders of doom a lot um i like riddle of steel a lot um i, I mean there's uh i like wealth can be wonderful because it is such this weird little whimsical it's it's these are all stuff you can play in the background of your dungeons and dragons session you know it 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 rewrites the language for a whole genre of film. You now have to speak this language, this music. Um, Speaking of language, you know, the, the, a lot of people uh, track Arnold's career to Terminator because they said a director finally figured out how to make him a believable character who can't speak very good English, right? You know, that, that he's going to be this cyborg who doesn't talk very much. And once they figured out that template then they could mint all of these other action movies with him. Because, you know, I mean, he can't speak English that well. He certainly couldn't at the beginning. But I track it to Conan. It's not Terminator. Terminator comes later. In Conan, he's literally a barbarian. He does <laughs> not have to speak well. <laughs> Crom laughs at your full winds. Like, he's... It's just... It, it, it is a masterpiece of filmmaking because it is pulling from classical canon references. I mean, there are scenes with Thulsa Doom where James Earl Jones is standing above his followers and screaming, and boy, is that filmed like Triumph of the Will, you know? Yeah, that's true. It's very deliberately filmed in, in ways that are recalling these very scary, very dark, but pieces of the canon, you know? It, it's pieces of our history, yeah. Pieces of our history. I mean, you can't... You can't get away from, from how seeped in its own influences it is. I mean, so it's not a coincidence that they hire these great actors. They hire James Earl Jones to play the main bad guy. 
They hire Mako to play the sorcerer who is eccentric and living out in the desert. And they hire Max von Sydow to play the king whose daughter they have to go and rescue if they want to reach level four. Like It's true, I do love Max. Yeah, no, I mean, he's just... He, all of these characters, even these little tiny bit characters that go almost unnamed, are so well-written and so interesting, and they could not exist in another film. You don't... I don't feel well, like Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mako is basically Yoda. Well, <laughs> yes, but, but I'm talking about, like, the really small characters. I'm talking about, like, the guy who, at one point, when they're asking around for information, just like you would in a Dungeons & Dragons adventure, they come up to one of the shopkeeps and he goes, A few years ago, they were just another snake cult. How many snake cults exist on this planet? Like, what are... Oh, my God. Like, that is nuts. That is nuts that at some point in this version of the world's history, there were so many snake cults that, like, oh, it's just another one of those things. You just, you know, you just drive by two churches on your way to the grocery store. You drive by two snake cult places. Wait, like, isn't that a meme now? No, it's a meme with me. Oh. I've, I've, I and my circle of friends will abruptly message each other at 2 a.m. and just say, a few years ago, they were just another snake cult. Like, Wait, so you have dispensed Conan to your I circle have, of friends. as and, and... a piece of the canon, because I All consider right. it incredibly valuable. So, um, so for something to be in the canon, it really does have to uh, reverberate, right? I mean, yeah. we've talked in other podcasts about how we should not confuse quality with popularity, but... At some point, you can't be in the canon if nobody's watching you. Well, so, Conan, I mean, how do your friends react when you show them Conan? Mostly humor. I mean, it's because it, it is funny. It is this yeah. weird, bizarre piece of culture. I mean, it, it makes no sense. It's insane. The blood effects are terrible. The acting is worse. But it is such an important moment of cultural and cinematic history. It is Arnold's rise. It is a weird attempt at, by James Earl Jones to try and remind you that he's a legitimate actor after Star Wars. Yeah, and it's well. like, James, buddy, you're in the wrong movie, dude. Like, <laughs> um, and it has one of the greatest movie lines of all time. What is good, Conan? To crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of the women. Exactly. I mean, everybody, every straight white male guy in my generation knows that quote. Because it's incredible. I mean, it's it's... It's just, it's a really well-crafted film, so you kind of wonder why is it so funny, but it, it occupies both of those roles really well. I mean, it feels almost like a weird fantasy version of Spinal Tap to me. Because <laughs> That's hilarious. Is it a weird, almost, like, it, obviously Spinal Tap is an overt parody. This is trying to be sincere, and it falls on its face, but it is so funny, but it's also crucial to that Genre, like musical documentaries, were never the same after Spinal Tap. Right. Spinal Tap completely changed the way that you format a real, not parody, musical documentary. Right. Conan and the... has the same effect on fantasy sword and sorcery movies. Hmm. And also it indirectly leads to my favorite MST3K episode, Cave Dwellers, so, you know. <laughs> In the Guardians of the Galaxy podcast, which is already up by the time we post this one... I said that I would be the lone person in my generation trying to stand before the gates of canon to repel that tide. If I have to single-handedly push Conan across that finish line into the canon, I will do that. Because, <laughs> my work here is done. Like, it's, it is different from my love from Titan AE, because Titan AE is something that I love very desperately, but at the same time, not everyone really necessarily has to appreciate it. It's my yeah. soul movie, but 
very hard to really convince anyone that that yeah, should be in the canon. No, I don't think that's I think in the canon. Conan is a fight worth having because, and I try not to get into a lot of nerd fights at this point, but it is vital to understanding hmm. that period of filmmaking. Hmm. It's vital to understanding the sword sorcery genre. You don't get. Okay, here's why it's in the canon. Oh. Here's my strongest reason ever. <laughs> Everybody, brace yourselves. Without Conan, Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings films do not exist. Oh, that's pretty good. Factually, point A to point B, you can draw a straight line from that to the the big scenery shots where they're showing you Arnold and his D&D buddies running across <laughs> the landscape of right. Spain right. are the same shots, the same visual yeah. language that Peter Jackson uses to show the three rangers running across the fields yes. of Middle yeah. Earth in no. New Zealand. You're right. It is a one-to-one. Right. One. The Howard Shore score of Lord of the Rings does not exist without the score of Conan. Well, that's it, a good point. One-to-one. One. Yeah. It's, it's... <clears throat> and so I can jump in and say that is what Conan did in the pop culture because before that, if you wanted to make this kind of a story uh, for the broader culture... You know what? Hollywood wasn't really interested. They would either throw you a B-movie budget, which is just a few thousand dollars, you know, I mean, just nothing. Or they would give you a cartoon. They would make the sword and sorcery story a cartoon because it was like, ah, this is just for geeks and nerds and who cares? Uh, the budget to do this in live action is too much. You know, so we got a cartoon version of The Hobbit. We got a cartoon version of... Um, you know, some of the heavy metal stuff, you know, all the Ralph Bakshi stuff that was happening in the 70s. Mobius, yeah. Was basically sword and sorcery stuff that Hollywood wouldn't want to pay to do in live action. Conan changed that. Well, Conan also proves that you can do it for $6 and a drug-addled star in the middle of the Spain desert. You know, like, And it looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. Like, the production values are not awful. It does have a cast of hundreds, maybe not thousands, but hundreds, yep, you know. Yep. They have these big city scenes that look pretty good. Yep. Um, and it did well enough that they made a sequel. Yeah. And also Red Sonja. But the less we talk about that, the better. Oh, uh, Red Sonja. Oh, oh uh, sorry. Wipe the drool. Anyway, I, I really think Conan helped shape a lot of the media that we love today. I mean, yeah. especially if you look at the video game influence. Mm. I mean, uh, there was a video game in the mid-80s called Golden Axe. Golden oh, Axe. Man, I don't remember that at all. Okay, so Golden Axe, very iconic video game, sword and sorcery type thing, directly lifts sound bites from this Conan film. Really? When you kill an enemy, they go, ah, which is exactly the sound that one of uh, the goons of James Earl Jones's guys makes when he gets stabbed through the heart with like a sword. Like it's huh. a direct sound file rip, and you don't get Gauntlet without Conan. You don't get any of, like, certainly the modern Conan games, so that's pretty obvious. But there's, like, a whole subgenre of hack-and-slash video games that are very clearly born from programmers and writers and everyone involved in video gaming watching this movie over and over and yeah. over and yeah. saying, man, wouldn't it be cool to play that? Like, when he's in the gladiator scene, you know that is fodder for, you know, these one-on-one -on -one fights that you have in the Star Wars game, that one of the Star Wars games I love, called Knights of the Old Republic. Mm. You get thrown into a gladiatorial ring where you're not allowed to use, like, full swords. You've got to use the weird esoteric, like, spiked fist weapons that Conan is using. Like, right. Well, so there were gladiator movies before Conan, but you know what? It had been probably 15 years before there was a... Between when there was the last kind of Cecil B. DeMille big-budget gladiator movie. Like, between Spartacus and Conan, there's nothing. 
Yeah. There's no sword and sandals epic, really, between like 65 and Conan. Yeah, Conan single-handedly brings it back. And Conan is also just a really... It, it's it's like the politics of the film are really weird and interesting. How so? Because like it does start with like a Nietzsche quote. Yeah. Like it starts with with that, and a lot of scholars have really interpreted Arnold as Conan as kind of uh, the Ubermensch. You know, yes, he right. is yep. this this really gross ideal, you know, blonde haired, blue eyed Aryan Superman. Yeah. But at the same time, he's the one who's killing Thulsa Doom, who is filmed. Like Hitler was in Riefenstahl, right. right? You know, like it is weird. It is muddied, and like Conan well, does. But there's, but there's a real power in the cultural story of of someone who turns on their master. Yes. Right. So a, a good soldier who would turn on a fascist leader, mm-hmm. right? We we in American culture would revere that. Yes. Um, but you know, he also has like. He's 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 uh, you know Conan is you know respectful of other. Warriors, regardless of you know their gender or their background, there's a religious discussion between him and the rogue character, basically, where the rogue is like, well, "My gods dwell in the sky, and I worship the four winds." And Conan is like, "Ha ha! Well, Krom lives in the mountain. He's greater than your god. Your god cannot blow him over." And they disagree. They disagree. They disagree. This goes on for about three minutes, and then Conan's like, "Pass me another piece of chicken." Like that's it. Conan doesn't <laughs> care that someone else worships something else. It's for him. It's just another fun. Like Saturday afternoon talk for him. It's like you mean like he's doing a podcast. Yes, it's great. We're talking about our gods. We're comparing our dicks through our gods. It's great. Like all of this for him is it's not about necessarily. And this sounds very weird to say, but like you know he fights as an equal. I mean when they pick up the paladin character, you know with this woman, you know he's not patronizing to her. He doesn't insult her. He's you know okay. She's a fellow warrior. She's killed big things. I've killed big things. We ought to get along just fine. Respect. Like, yeah, you know, and you do see that in the sequel, Conan the Destroyer, where it's like him and Grace Jones or something. Yeah. And like, she's like killing a bunch of dudes with the spear and Conan is like not like kicking back and being like, she's an amazing woman. Like, you're just like, <laughs> okay, cool. I'm, which, all, I'm which, here for feminist Conan. And you know what? That's true because it comes at the end of the late 60s and 70s, which was the great expansion of liberalism in our culture. Mm-hmm. And then look at what he's doing. You know, 10 years later, he's doing crap like True Lies, where Jamie Lee Curtis, a major league actress, really has nothing to do. And and there's been a lot of feminist commentary about that movie and about how she's really objectified. Yeah. You know, the rest of Arnold's uh, movies, like for the next 10 years, after he kind of phases out of Conan and he does the Terminator stuff... I know there's a very strong female character in Terminator, but his, the rest of his stuff, really, there, there's no partnership like that. Yeah, no, nothing like that. Nothing even close. Um, so, Conan the Feminist. Yeah, no. I mean, Conan is just, I mean, he's this equal opportunity ass kicker. He'll cut the head off a giant snake and then, you know, completely disrupt Thulsa Doom's gross cannibalistic orgy. I mean, like, it's, <laughs> he's just, uh, he's this... He's completely independent. Yeah, he's completely independent. He's this masculine idea, and I would argue that he's a masculine idea without being toxic. You know, he's mm-hmm. 
he he's a man's man without being at it's not at the expense of anyone else right. it's i mean well, except for Tulsa doom whose head he lops clean off and then throws down several flights of stairs which is <laughs> awesome spoiler alert oh my god it Jeez. is over 30 years old <laughs> the spoiler expiration on that is so past yeah spoilers for conan <laughs> Go hey. and read the Robert E. Howard books. Why don't you do it? Go! They're there. They're in the library. Check them out. Go! I, I actually have, uh, you know, and, and here's another argument to help you with the whole uh, Conan can't, wait a minute. <laughs> He's losing the plot. Conan cannon. Conan cannon. <laughs> Conan cannon. I actually know a really brilliant neuroscientist who grew up in Africa reading Conan comic books. Yeah. He, he's of my generation. Yeah. The guy's brilliant. But we, when I bump into him on campus in my day job, we talk about Conan. Yeah, dude. It, <laughs> smart people like this movie, like Conan. The Conan canon. All right, Directed like by it. the Coen brothers. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious, a Coen brothers Conan. Dude, movie. if they really do this planned third sequel, King Conan... Um, you know, I thought they did a Conan movie a few years ago and it was terrible. Yeah. So they did a Conan movie with Jason Momoa, by the way, who this whole thing, if you think we're talking about the Jason Momoa movie, you're wrong. He is a pasty girly man. He is terrible. He's not Conan. He is a pretender. No. So Jason Momoa is, is Aquaman. You know him as Aquaman. Oh, you know, really that movie bombed. Yeah. No, it made like $6. I have more money in my pocket right now, but like, (laughs) Like, what it, was wrong with it? Did you watch it? I didn't. Oh my god, are you kidding? Why would I stain my eyeballs with such heresy? Like, <laughs> I, my, what I heard from Braver Souls Than I in 2010, or whatever that piece of crap came out, was just that it, it, you go into a Conan movie expecting Arnold at this point. They were actually apparently very accurate to the book's depiction of Conan. Because, let's be clear here, the Conan depicted in the films is not really the Conan in Robert E. Howard's books. Like, you mean the Schwarzenegger Conan? Schwarzenegger Conan is no. not Robert E. Howard. No, no, no. It's not at all. But that's okay, because, as we've always said, an adaptation needs to shift with the mediums. Right. And I think Conan, as played by Schwarzenegger, is perfect for the silver screen. Yeah. I think that having a brooding hero who you can spend many lines describing, but who actually says very little, right. it's that's, actually really detrimental. It gets pretty boring. Screen. Well, that was my knock against the very first uh, Tim Burton Batman. Is you know, yeah, Batman's a brooding character, but there are just acres of screen time where we just watch him brooding. Yeah, it's so boring. Yeah, no. That... <laughs> anyway, all right. So we've got about seven minutes to go, and we haven't talked about Mako nearly enough. Yeah, I yeah. want you to talk about why, how he compares to Yoda, and just basically do the voice. Well, what's really exciting about Mako and no, this come movie... on, do the voice. Well, what's very exciting when you're watching Mako in this film is that he's not exactly Yoda. He's a little bit meaner, and he's a little bit even more reclusive. He doesn't really want to use his powers. It's kind of straining crudality for him. Um, And, like, he just has such a weird rapport with Arnold, who could not be more different than Mako. There are no two more different people on this earth than (laughs) Mako in the early 1980s and Arnold. Arnold is this... Beyond peak physical human specimen. Yeah, he's a giant. He's, he's a freak. I yeah. mean, his his arms are so thick he can hardly move them around his body. <laughs> and we, meanwhile, Mako may, weighs maybe eighty pounds. Yeah, like yeah. he he's a stick. 
Um, he does kind of have very similar body language to Yoda in that he's kind of hobbled. Hmm. But he's also very fearful of the power he wields, whereas Yoda is very much someone who embraces the power that oh, is yeah. within Oh, no, yeah, he's him. very comfortable with his power. Very comfortable. Mako is really like, look, I draw power from the four winds. It's really dark. It's really scary. And, you know, when he tries to revive Conan at one point, he's like, your boy might not survive. Like, yeah. this might take his soul. Yeah. Like, it's that's really dark, really heavy. But... He also has these weird whimsical moments of humor, like between him and Arnold, where Arnold like shows up and he's like, "Do any flowers grow here?" And Marco's like, "Flowers!" Like, he just makes this noise that sounds like something inside of him is crawling around and dying. Like, and Arnold at one point, Marco does a follow-up question. He's like, "Who are the flowers for?" And Arnold is like, "For a pretty girl." <laughs> He does. Like, Arnold only has one laugh, and it's the worst fake laugh ever because he can't act. He just goes, ha-ha. Like, that's all he's got. And, and hey, hey, I want a little bit of credit because I did not show you Conan yeah. until after you had seen and fallen in love with Samurai Jack. Yeah, I mean, there's another argument for putting Conan in the canon with the Coen brothers. Like, it's, it, you don't get Samurai Jack without Conan, without it. It just does not exist. Certainly not in the form that we love it, certainly not in the form we'd recognize it. Yeah. You know, and you just got to throw down for Mako, who's, you know, just one of those cats who was in Hollywood for like 60 years and has like 300 IMDb credits. And you're like, <laughs> all right, man, Mako, just hold it down. Like, it's, it's so bizarre. He's so weird. All of this stuff fits together like a jigsaw puzzle whose pieces have been scattered all around the floor, and you're like, okay, so let's take Arnold, who's barely speaking English, and we're going to take some weird, like, philosophical stuff from Oliver Stone, and then we're going to mix it in with, like, a classical trained actor like Mako, like Max von Sydow, mm -hmm. like Tulsa Doom, played by right. James Earl Jones, who we haven't really talked about a lot, but who's really fun to watch. You yeah. know, he's doing something that's... I mean, he has talked about patterning that role, because he took it very seriously, after Hitler, after Genghis Khan, after mm. these really scary people in our real world history. And meanwhile, Arnold, you know, this is a real story from behind the scenes. Arnold is swapping acting advice with James Earl Jones for bodybuilding tips. <laughs> He'd give a tip to James Earl Jones. He's like, you've got to do more. You've got to work on your quads a little bit. Like, you've got to. He would help him coach him on that. And James Earl Jones would help coach him on his acting. Wow. And that is, like, what a cool environment. The middle of the desert in Spain, and Arnold is just out of his mind and hanging out with James Earl Jones. and It's he, like the forge of everything that came after. Yeah, it's just crazy. Like, we are 15 years removed before, you know, uh, James Earl Jones does, like, fences and really has, like, this appreciation for his career. But he's already fighting for that. He's already yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take this movie very seriously. And you're like, James, dude buddy, this one has a giant snake. Like, you gotta, you gotta just, this one has James Earl Jones transform into a giant snake. Like, yeah, yeah. it's just insanity. It has terrible puppets, terrible blood effects. But this is a great example of what does make it into the canon because, you know, Hollywood cranks out hundreds of movies a year uh, and most of them are forgettable. Most mm -hmm. of them just fade away. You'll see them on Netflix years later. Um... They, they run on the weekends on cable television to fill space. 
Uh, and out of the hundreds of movies a year, you know, one or two will be something that will be remembered uh, in 10 years, and maybe one or two of those will make it into the cultural canon. So it's, it's almost an accident when all those little jigsaw pieces come together and forge something that lasts. Yep. So Conan, I guess you've convinced me. Yeah, Conan is very special. Conan does belong in the canon. I think it is one of those, you know, 100 films or whatever you've got to see before you die because mm. it comes at such a unique cultural crossroads, not only for Arnold, but for us as a culture as a whole. Because this is post-Star Wars, you know? Yep. People are trying to see what works now because audiences have said that they'll go for, you some know... Some strange stuff. Some strange stuff. We're out of the 70s. We're out. Yeah. And we're into this uncharted new territory. And it's also important because it creates other things that are inarguably part of the canon. Right. And while not all of the influences of the things that we love in canon should necessarily be in canon, there's just too many things that would not exist without Conan. So here's where I really put pressure on you, though. Okay. If you're going to just pick two... I could be nice and say three. No, don't do this. No. Three. If you I could, know what this question is. Don't do it. Three, no. Three Arnold movies for the canon. If Son you blow one of those of on Conan, <laughs> if you only get three Arnold movies in the canon, which are they? Because Terminator's got to be one of them. Terminator 1. So now you've got Terminator 1 and Conan. What's the third one? Um... <laughs> Because uh, I know you love Predator, but do you really need to see Predator if you've seen Terminator and Conan? I'm not sure that you do. Ha! Gotcha. Well, the problem is, is that I just... So, most people would immediately fill in after hearing those two and just say Terminator 2. The no, thing is, I don't really no, like Terminator 2. I don't 2. like Terminator 2. But most people would say Terminator 2, dude. Most people I, I saw that said this week on social media. Yeah. yeah. Um... Uh, um, hey, you know, if you can't do it, that's fine. I mean, no, it's Predator. You know what? Screw you. It is Predator. <laughs> it is Predator. It is Predator. Because you know what? You get too far past that, and Arnold loses what makes him him. Like, True yes. Lies is him trying to do a James Bond movie. I know, and it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And you get into the stuff he's doing now, and it's just crap. Yeah. It's just yeah. awful. You know, it's not Terminator 2 for me, because I don't like Terminator 2. Sorry. So it's not Kindergarten Cop? Oh, God. We're going to play a game. It's called Who is Your Daddy and What Does He Do? Like, you know, no, here's the thing. Lines that Conan would never say. Here's here's why Predator isn't superfluous. Because Commando is superfluous. Yeah. Commando is not really that special. No, it's not. Predator is special. Because... (laughs) Why is Predator special, Samuel? Because I'm here! I'm here! Do it! I'm here! Kill me now! Wait. Oh, yeah. Hold on. That's okay. That's enough. Danny Glover. Can't believe what Danny Glover's seeing. All right. That's enough of that. This has been the Re-View Podcast. I'm out. Shh.